When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Red or Dead is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot subscription service and perfect gift for Mother's Day. Do you have a mom or motherly figure in your life who loves books? Give them the gift of tailored book recommendations for Mother's Day, which is coming soon. When you do, your mom can tell TBR about their reading likes and dislikes and what they're looking for, and then just sit back while their bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for them. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, and gifts start at only $16, so there's a gift option for every budget. TBR subscribers are matched to bibliologists based on their requests, so if mom loves thrillers, wants to read more romance, is looking for poetry by writers of color, or maybe some space opera, we've got someone who knows just what to recommend, so you don't have to guess. Our bibliologist can also check your mom's Goodreads account if she has one, saving you from gifting a book that has already been read. Plus, gifts can be scheduled so you won't miss Mother's Day. Go to mytbr.co to give your mom the gift of tailored book recommendations. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 101, and we are recording on Tuesday, May 4th. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Nezra Javed, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Nezra, how are you? I am good. Uh, I have to do this. Uh, happy May the 4th. Yes. <laughs> I have to say it. <laughs> yes. May the 4th be with you all. <laughs> <laughs> I just said that to a parent while I was in the daycare pickup line and they just looked at me funny like, what? Ugh. So that was my awkward moment for the day. But like, you know, May the 4th, like, come on. Star Wars Day. Come on, people. Come on, people. But yeah, how are you? <laughs> oh, I'm I'm okay. I'm a little shocked that we're in May already. A co-worker was talking about, she's like, how did we get to May? When did this happen? <laughs> so yeah, I'm, as always, I'm a little disoriented. I'm never quite sure what day of the week it is, what time it is, what month we're in. Weather is starting to slowly get warmer. So that is a plus. Yes. Yay! <laughs> there have been a couple yeah. of really nice days where it's you know it's not too it's not too humid, and I told my husband I'm like I just want to go outside on the pavement in the parking lot and just like lay down like a lizard <laughs> and just like sun myself. And he's like, that No, you can't image. do that. <laughs> you don't need to freak out the neighbors. Please don't do that. <laughs> I 100% support your right to do that, Katie. You do you. <laughs> but yeah, it's super hot over here. We've ditched all our layers. We're down to like one layer and like, you know, it's a good time. Like it, everything's looking up. Yes, everything feels, it, it. well, it certainly feels more positive this year than, yes. than it did this time last year. We'll put it that way. So yeah, oh my everyone is... Yeah slowly, I think, emerging a little bit. And although the pandemic is far from over, we are starting mm -hmm. to see small signs of hope. And it, it is a good feeling. Exactly. We got to take the good when we can. <laughs> yes, very, very much so. All right. Well, before we jump into the rest of our show, Nezra, you want to go ahead and give us our first sponsor? 
Yeah, absolutely. So this podcast is sponsored in part by the audiobook edition of The Blot by Jean Half Gorlitz, read by Kirby Hayborn. Jacob Finch Bonner was once a promising young novelist with a respectably published first book. Today, he's teaching in a third-rate MFA program and struggling to maintain what's left of his self-respect. He hasn't written, let alone published, anything decent in years. When Evan Parker, his most arrogant student, announces he doesn't need Jake's help because the plot of his book in progress is a sure thing, Jake is prepared to dismiss the boast as a typical amateur narcissism. But then, he hears the plot. Jake returns to the downward trajectory of his own career and braces himself for the supernova publication of Evan Parker's first novel. But it never comes. When he discovers that his former student has died, presumably without ever completing his book, Jake does what any self-respecting writer would do with a story like that. A story that absolutely needs to be told. Hailed as breathtakingly suspenseful, the plot is a propulsive audiobook about a story too good not to steal and the writer who steals it. If you are looking for a new twisty thriller and love books about books, start listening to The Plot by Jean Hamf Gorelitz. Thank you for sponsoring the show. All right. Yeah, I only read one of Jean Hamf Gorelitz's books before, which was You Should Have Known, which I read years ago, like almost 10 years ago, I think. But that one was really good. And I remember reading it shortly after I read Gone Girl when I realized that psychological thrillers <laughs> were a thing. And I was just like, oh, this is so cool. So I am excited to hear that she has another book coming out. And this one sounds really interesting. Yeah, same. I, I have already have it earmarked for, you know, for my next haul, whenever I, that it may be. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if... You are a longtime listener. Welcome back to the show. If you're new li listening to us, we are so happy that you've joined us for this next leg of our show now that we are officially in triple digits. And like I said at the beginning of the show, we talk about mysteries and suspense and thrillers and true crime and just about anything that falls under that suspenseful umbrella. It can be movie adaptations, it can be explorations of a new subgenre, it can be author read-alikes, it can be just about anything that happens in this wild world of mystery and suspense publications. <laughs> and this is the point in the episode where we always put out a call to our listeners to let us know if you have any suggestions for upcoming episodes. They have really helped us plan so many of the previous episodes over the last, last few years. It's a great way for us to know what you, the listeners, would like to hear more of. It's a great way for us to expand our own reading horizons. So if you have any suggestions, you can shoot us an email or reach out to us via social media. We'll have all of our contact information at the end of the show and in the show notes. But we always put out the call ahead of time to get those juices flowing, get you thinking. And even if you don't have an idea and just want to say hi, that is fabulous. We love hearing from our listeners and it always just makes us so happy. And if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts so that other people can find us because we are always looking for new listeners to share our love of mystery and suspense with. So with that, let's go ahead and jump into the news. We've got some pretty big news to kick off this segment. Nazra, why don't, why don't you go ahead and give us our, our fabulous big news item? 
Yeah, so I'm super excited about this one. So I think it was our 99th episode where we did a very in-depth discussion about the Edgar Awards, the 75th annual Edgar Awards. We discussed some of the nominees. We discussed some of our own picks from the nominees and the awards have finally been announced. And we just wanted to quickly share some of the winners with you. And it seems like uh, a lot of the winners were the ones that we picked ourselves to read personally. And that makes my heart so happy. Uh, So I'll start with the first one and then we can just take it from there so the first category was best novel and the winner in this category was gin petrol on the purple line by deepa anapara and this was one of the books that i read for that episode and it, it is fantastic it deserves all the praise and if you haven't picked it up yet you should immediately pick it up yeah that was a category that i was just like, how are they going to pick a winner? Because all of the books are so different, different types of mystery. Some are more literary than others. I mean, it there was just such a range. It's like, you know, how do you, it's like comparing suspenseful apples with suspenseful oranges. Yes. Like, how do you do it? But yeah, I have everything I've heard about this book, which is still on my TBR, have not had a chance to pick it up. But everything I've heard from people who have read it said it's just awesome. So yay, congratulations to Deepa Anapara for Jim Patrol on the Purple Line. That is a huge honor. Absolutely. And for best first novel, the winner for this category was Please See Us by Caitlin Mullen, which was actually a book that I have, like, it never even crossed my radar. Unfortunately, this was not one of the books that I ended up reading for that episode. So I will definitely have to pick this one up. I will say I was honestly, I was actually really expecting Winter Counts to win by David Heska Wombly Wyden, just because it's received so much acclaim since it's been published. And it's just been talked about so much in the mystery and suspense circles. But yeah, so I am really excited to pick up Please See Us by Caitlin Mullen. And this was a really solid category. Like, I think you could pick up any of the books in in this category, any of the shortlisted titles, and you'd pretty much be guaranteed an awesome book. Yeah, I remember from the even from the episode, I think we we talked about all four of the picks except for Please See Us. <laughs> and that's one of the things we were talking about, like is our favorite about just awards in general. You find out so many books that would never have crossed your radar before that. So congratulations to Caitlin Mullen and we are excited to pick her book up. Um, then the next category, I'm sure, Katie, you're going to be ecstatic about this yes. one, is this Best Paperback Original. And uh, When No One Is Watching by Alyssa Cole, this won that prize. Congratulations to Alyssa Cole. I read this book only recently. And I have to say it deserves the, it deserves the acclaim it gets. And I am, I'm super excited to see that it won. Yeah. This one, this one was one of my favorite books in a terrible, terrible reading year from last (laughs) year. This was one of the last books I ended up finishing before the end of the year. And I was just, just blown away by how good it was and how suspenseful and just how rocket fast the last half of the book went. It was Mm -hmm. so gripping. so well done. It was funny and smart and suspenseful and outlandish and yet so realistic. And oh my gosh, so, so good. So if you haven't read it already, <laughs> go read it. 
All right. And then next category was best fact crime. And this was one. Yeah, this was I remember talking about this category because I usually feel like I'm more familiar with the with the factual crime or the true crime picks for stuff like this. And a lot of the books I wasn't as familiar with. So the the title that won was Death in Mudlick, A Coal Country Fights Against the Drug Companies That Delivered the Opioid Epidemic by Eric Eyre. And that this is again, this is one that I was relatively familiar with most of the other titles that were shortlisted for this category, but not this one. And I will say, I feel like this is, I don't want to call it a trend, but I think we're seeing, we're seeing more books come out about the opioid epidemic that's been happening with, I think it's Beth Macy's Dope Sick and all of these other types of books that look at this kind of different version of crime. It's not true crime like you would normally think, which is, you know, murder and serial killers and police investigations, like that type of thing. This is a different type of true crime. And I think we're we're probably going to see more and more books written like this. So were you, I was going to say, Nestor, were you familiar with this title? Or had you heard anything about it? Because again, this was one I was relatively unfamiliar with. Yeah, so this only recently came uh, onto my radar uh, because I uh, I think this is also, the author is also Appalachian and some of the Instagram accounts I follow about Appalachian literature, they brought this into uh, like into my attention about how it sort of, you know, tackles that part of the region and uh, how they dealt with that crisis. And I have been like fascinated by it. So I am super glad that it won and I'm super excited to pick this up. And then the next category is best critical biographical. And this is the one, this is what I talked about. So the winner was Phantom Lady, Hollywood producer, Joanne Harrison, the forgotten woman behind Hitchcock by Christina Lane. And I'm super, super excited that this one is, I did end up finishing this read. It's fantastic. It is so well done. And I do enjoy the Hitchcock movie. I've seen all of them. And it was like a a lovely trip, like down the nostalgia lane, but also like the truth lane. Like, you know, like what really went on behind creating those movies and all the people that were involved and all the people who were actually remembered. So it was eye-opening. It was enjoyable. And I'm super, super excited to see this title win. All right. And then just to combine the last couple of categories, we had Best Juvenile. Uh, The winner for that one was Premeditated Myrtle by Elizabeth C. Bunce. And I am not familiar with the world of children's literature, at least not as much as I would like to be. So I don't know much about this book. Clearly, it is a fantastic read if it won the category. And I'm trying to remember... Nezra, you read when we in our episode, you read from the desk of Zoe Washington. Was that it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, it okay. was. Fa- it was fantastic one. <laughs> yeah. And that was the category I wasn't able to get around to with my reading schedule. But congratulations to Elizabeth C. Bunce. And then young adult, the winner for this one was the book that I ended up reading, which was The Companion by Katie L. Ender. And this book was, yeah, this this book was bonkers. I read it, I think, over the course of like two and a half, three hours, the afternoon <laughs> right before we recorded. It is a very fast read. It's very, it's it's very compelling. It's a dark, gothic, psychological suspense novel. If you like really, really messed up family dynamics set in like these really huge manor houses, 
then definitely pick up this book. It was it was very entertaining. So congratulations to Katie Ellender. And as for the rest of the winners, we're going to leave a link in our show notes so all of you can see for yourself some of the nominees and the titles that won. Congratulations to all the winners. The lineup was absolutely fantastic. And I know Katie and I had a fantastic time discussing them and reading some of the contenders. And with that, I know Katie has another piece of news that she's super duper (laughs) excited about. (laughs) Yes. um, So it's more of a tentative possibility than actual outright news, but we may be getting a third season of Mindhunter. (laughs) And I hope all of you are doing jazz hands along with me. Mindhunter. Oh my gosh. So Mindhunter is currently on Netflix, the first two seasons. It was directed by David Fincher. It's based on the true crime book by John Douglas about his time in the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit. The first two seasons on Netflix are just so well done. If you enjoy, I mean, it's dramatized true crime. So I'm not quite sure how to categorize it because it talks about very real serial killers that operated in the 1970s and how the behavioral sciences unit at the FBI was built up. It's a much quieter type of show than you would expect given the subject matter, but it's, oh my gosh, it's so good. The The characters are really intriguing, really complex. The actors that they have brought on to portray the different serial killers like Ed Kemper and Charles Manson and all of these people. It's really like the it's really unnerving how good these actors are at portraying these people. And yeah, so people who really got into Mindhunter were just crushed when Netflix said it would be ending after two seasons because director David Fincher had other obligations. But now he has fulfilled those obligations and is apparently <laughs> in talks to renew Mindhunter again. So keep all of your fingers and toes crossed that we will get a third season because two seasons was definitely not enough. I have them. I have never seen Mindhunters, but I have them crossed on behalf of all of you as well. <laughs> Yes. Oh my gosh. It's yes, such a such a good show. My husband and I, we were we would watch that on for like there's only like maybe like I don't know, maybe 10 episodes per season, so it's kind of a limited series type of thing. So we would just blast through a oh, season in the span of a week and then we're like, "Wow, that was some really dark subject matter, <laughs> but it's so good." <laughs> Why are we having nightmares all of a sudden? Oh, I know. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> All right. And with that, I think let's uh, jump into the discussion portion of our episode. And this is actually uh, a topic that one of our listeners suggested to us on social media. So thank you so much. So they were interested in reads that feature like dinner parties and murders. (laughs) And I know when Katie and I read that, we were so we were intrigued because, you know, who doesn't love a good dinner party gone wrong and uh, katie has in the show notes she's highlighted the discussion as dinner and death so i love that (laughs) all capital letters (laughs) (laughs) so but before we do jump into like some of our picks for the topic we did wanted to discuss like like katie what do you think like why do you think it's um because there have been a lot of like not just uh books but movies like Mm -hmm. about dinner parties like gone wrong or you know a murder being 
followed shortly after a dinner party or before. So like, what do you think it's such an interesting trope to play around with? Yeah, I I was giving this a lot of thought because it's such an established mystery trope, especially if you think about like Agatha Christie style mysteries, like in a lot of these classic mysteries, there's something like everyone's gathered at a dinner party and someone ends up murdered and then all of the people at the dinner party have to figure out who killed the whoever it is that is now lying dead at the table. <laughs> and I yeah, I've just been I was I've been giving this probably more thought than I should be. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not planning any actual dinner party murders. But like I think it's because it's I think it goes well with this idea of like there's one person who is like orchestrating all of this from behind the scenes because in a lot of the classic mysteries everyone who's brought to the dinner party has some connection with the host or they all have some connection with each other that's brought that's brought to light over the course of the story and I think that the dinner party kind of provides a convenient mechanism for that mm-hmm. but I was also thinking about like, okay, if you have a dinner party, like that is very much an upper middle, upper class type of gathering. You know, they're usually, they're usually formal. They're very fancy. They're elegant. You know, really nice food is served. And then all of a sudden that is just, that facade is just like shattered, cut away with dead. (laughs) with death wow i need a better (laughs) word for that death but i think it really it's just an interesting way like to kind of cut away at the these trappings of like upper class life and then just kind of exposes it exposes the seedy underbelly of upper class life so like i said i've been putting a lot of thought (laughs) into this over the last couple of weeks yeah, I, I love that. That is a, I think that's a fantastic point. And just to sort of add to that, I, uh, when I was thinking about it, I was picturing like dinner parties are usually like, you know, this warm, welcoming affair. And there's all like, I feel like, you know, it's, it's a perfect like, getaway to hide something like ugly as like a murder underneath because it's, you know, it's usually there's a long list of suspects. There's a, like, and anyone could have done it. There's a long list of motives, but there's also like very less, like it's, there's a high likelihood of the person who actually did it getting away with it. And just, I think it's just so interesting to like watch that unravel. It has a lot of locked room mystery aspects to it. So I know, like, I just love that genre. And I, and like, I, some of the picks that I have, they were delightful. And like, in you know, in a way that book about dinner and death can be delightful. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'm excited to jump in. But before that, do you want to uh, give us our second sponsor? I would be delighted to give our second sponsor. So our second sponsor for this episode is Emporia State University School of Library and Information Management. So the Masters of Library Science program at Emporia State University is an ALA-accredited program that offers you the flexibility of online classes while also giving you a community of peers to build your professional network. Through a combination of instruction, students are able to form deep connections to the coursework, professors, other students, and practicing professionals in libraries. ESU offers a quick and affordable way to earn your MLS, with most students completing their degree in two years, even while working a full-time job. So to learn more, you can visit their website at www.emporia.edu slash S-L-I-M. 
So I will not give the background that I did the first time that we had them as a sponsor for this episode, but I will put in a plug. I, while I did not receive my master's degree from Emporia State, I did do an online program for my master's in library and information science. I did it while working full time. It was a really good setup for me. It was really flexible and it really, I had a really good experience with it. And I am always excited whenever something about libraries pops up. So, so again, that is Emporia State University's School of Library and Information Management. And we thank them very much for sponsoring this episode. All right. So the my first pick is The Eighth Detective by Alex Bervasi. So I've mentioned this book uh, on the show before, but I just, I'm going to go into it a little bit in more detail. So this book is very much, it's a very classic kind of mystery, but it also has like that, those elements of like mathematical formulation. And it's, it's, it's a fantastic like story within stories kind of book. So where we begin is, so we have a professor who discovered the perfect formula for writing a mystery. And he penned a short story collection years ago and it was published and then it faded into oblivion. But then we have, years later, we have Julia, who is an editor with a publisher who wants to work on those stories and who wants to republish them and sort of bring them into the limelight again. But to do that, she wants to work with uh, Professor Grant, who was the one who penned those stories, and fix some of the errors that she thinks are there in the stories or some of the uh, unresolved clues she feels are there. So she starts working with him. And as she's working on the daily basis on the different stories, we as the reader experience each of those stories. And then uh, we also see how Julia is like, working her way through them and uh, deciding what needs to stay, what needs to be cut out. And this book was just absolutely delightful. I went into it thinking I wouldn't like it very much just because like uh, mystery short stories is something I've not had much experience with, but it was just fantastic. And the reason I picked this for this topic in particular is because two of the stories feature dinner parties. And then like in this novel itself, these two stories show the range of like uh, that trope itself, like how how little or how much you can do with it. So it was the stories where they're, they're very close to each other. So it's not uh, like the rest of the stories are also fantastic, but the two stories are very close to each other. And I definitely did want to mention here because when I thought of this topic, that immediately bumped, like jumped into my mind. It was fantastic and very slow burn, but also like so meticulously, like once I was finished with the story, I just... I had my mouth open. I was like, oh my goodness, what just happened here? And uh, it was, it, the, both the stories, all the stories were fantastic, but the two dinner party stories were particularly fantastic. So I definitely did want to put on anyone's radar who does enjoy this trope or who just in general enjoys, you know, classic mysteries, very meticulously formulated mysteries. So that's The Eight Detective by Alex Bavesi. Yeah, I have heard so many good things about that book. And that's one that I remember you talking about it before on the show. And I've seen it at the library. I've handed it out to patrons knowing, you know, roughly what it was about, but never had a chance to pick it up myself. So I will definitely be making sure that one's on my Goodreads list. So probably not surprising for this discussion about dinner parties gone wrong. My first pick is The Dinner by Herman Koch. 
And if you have not read this book, you've probably heard about it. This book was published in 2013, although it was first published in 2009 overseas. And this book got a lot of attention when it was first published. It came out not long after Gone Girl, just and just when there was just such a huge flood of psychological suspense novels with unreliable and unlikable narrators. And I picked up this book right around the time when it came out. And let me tell you, this book is a nasty piece of work. Like, this book is just, yeah, the, the best word I can, I can use to describe it is nasty. So the story, as you might guess from the title, takes place over the course of a dinner at a very upscale restaurant in Amsterdam. There's two couples that are out to dinner, two brothers and their wives. And the first part of the book, probably about the first third or so, starts off as very much kind of like a slice of lifestyle of literary fiction, which I normally do not go for. That's not my preferred genre. So the first part, if that's not your type of reading that you usually do, but you are interested in reading the book, it doesn't last for the whole book. Just kind of get, th get through that knowing that it is going to unravel. So the story alternates between the scene at the restaurant and the previous events. And slowly as the book alternates between these between these two timelines, you start to see what is really going on in the conversations that the, that these family that these extended family members are having. You find out that the families they have two 15-year-old boys and the boys have committed a really really bad crime. And I won't go into details, but they have they have they've committed a really really serious heinous crime. And as the book progresses, these layers of civility are just kind of peeled away like an onion. And I there was this book that I was thinking of when I was thinking about why are, you know, what makes the dinner party trope so effective when I was talking about kind of peeling away the, you know, the facade of upper class society. And that's what this book does really, really well. It's really built around discovery, like kind of gradual reveals that where you start to get an idea of how how dysfunctional this family really is. And although there aren't any big dramatic plot twists, it's kind of like a slow descent as you read the book. Like you can just feel your stomach dropping a little bit lower and lower and lower until finally at the end of the book, you're like, oh, gosh. Like I said, it, it is it is a nasty bit of writing. And this is a book that I find that people either really loved it or really hated it. And you have to go into this book knowing, like, do not go into this book looking for redeemable characters because you will find none. <laughs> every Every character is egotistical. They're narcissistic. They're hypocritical. They're pompous. They're like... There's really nothing redeeming there. You're going into this book. Don't go into this book looking for looking for happy times of any kind. But since that is totally my jam, I really love this book. I have also heard that the book works really well on audio. And some people find that they like the audio book much better than the print version. So you can keep that in mind. But yeah, so 
this book, I really, really enjoyed it. And of course, we can, and obviously, we cannot have a discussion about dinner parties gone wrong without this one. So again, that is The Dinner by Herman Koch. Yeah, I, I, as soon as we decided we were going to do this episode, Katie was like, The Dinner. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I, clearly that's going to be your title of choice. But yeah, I've heard such amazing, amazing things from people about this book. And, and when I say amazing, you know, just how twisted it is and how like, how much of like kaleidoscope like, it is into like these, the life of these two families. So I, it is definitely on my radar and I'm excited to hear you rave about it so that I can <laughs> bump it up. My second pick is The Majesties by Tiffany Sow. And one of the reasons that I wanted to uh, mention this here is so that I could plug another title over here. And that is uh, We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson, because Shirley Jackson is my queen. I have read everything she's ever written and oh, she's she's just fantastic. And this title was, it has been compared to that, but this takes it a little, but The Majesties is a little little more than We've Always Lived in the Castle. It combines the horror aspect of We've Always Lived in the Castle with big family drama of crazy rich Asians. So do with that what you may. <laughs> but it's like, it's it's very, very slow burn. Slow burn suspense is my jam 200%. I love it when something like just builds and builds and like suddenly there is this, you know, final climax and it's, it's just, that is what gets me super excited in any, in, especially in my mystery reads. Um, so this one, just a little bit about the plot. What happens is we have two cousins, Gwendolyn and Estella, and they're growing up in a wealthy, eminent, and sometimes deceitful family. They've relied on each other for support. They've relied on each other for confidence. But now Gwendolyn is lying in a coma and with Estella next to her. And she is the sole survival, a survivor of the of what seems to be poisoning of their entire family. And as Gwendolyn is struggling to regain consciousness, she's trying to retrace her memories and put them back together to try and figure out how she got there and how what happened to the rest of her family and like what led to this final like act and how did she get there and how is how was Estella like spared from it all and a lot of family secrets come to the surface like was it her aunt's mysterious death was it Estella's unhappy marriage that finally like that made Estella maybe do something and the shifting loyalties oh there's so much drama and there's so much suspense and it is so well done and so well written I, like I feel like the Crazy Rich Asians comp is an excellent one because you you also like get to go in different places. Like you travel to Indonesia, and then you have like you witness some of the parts are written in the during the Paris Fashion Week. So just like how in Crazy Rich Asians you get to like travel to like all these fabulous places in Singapore, it's there's it a lot of that. So it's a fantastic blend of the two. And where we start the like the story is because of a dinner party gone wrong. The whole family had gathered at a dinner and how and like the events sort of escalate from there. So it's a fantastic one if you love the strope. And in general as well, I think it's a fantastic one to have on your radar. So that's The Maj Majesties by Tiffany Sow. Yeah, that one I have had on my Goodreads list for a while. And I have, again, that's a book I was vaguely aware of, or I vaguely aware of the plot, I should say. But when I hear, heard you describe it as Crazy Rich Asians meets We Have Always Lived in the Castle, I'm like, <laughs> I feel like I know exactly what type of book this is. 
Also, I knew I was, when I was thinking about dinner parties or just dinners gone wrong, I was like, we have always lived in the castle. I knew I was forgetting a really obvious one. It, we've always lived in the castle is such a excellent, excellent one. Like it's short and sweet. And I've, I've only read that book once, but it's like etched into my brain. And then I watched the adaptation on Netflix and that's also etched into my brain. So yeah, my brain is tired. <laughs> All right, so for a more classic take on the dinner party theme I have, They All Fall Down by Rachel Housel Hall. And this book I picked not so much for a specific dinner party scene, although I am pretty sure that there is one in the book. It's been a couple of years since I've read it. But it really encapsulates a lot of the same tropes that the classic dinner party murder mystery type of story has. And This book is kind of a modern retelling of Agatha Christie's And Then There Were None. So it already has that kind of golden age mystery sensibility to it, where you have a bunch of strangers that are all brought together in a secluded location and then find out that they all have secret connections to each other. And then one by one, people start dying. (laughs) I mean, that's basically the pl- that's basically the main plot. I don't want to give too much away, but the to give a little bit more of a specific view, Miriam Macy is the main character. She has been given a surprise invitation to visit this very luxurious private island off the coast of Mexico with six other people that she has never met before in her life. So they all arrive at this island and they quickly learn as they arrive that they have all been brought to the remote island actually under false pretenses and all of the people on the island have a secret. And this is, I remember reading this book and it really had that, that Agatha Christie feel to it. But you have, you also have the kind of exotic locale, like this hot, almost tropical private island. And you have this, you know, big mansion in the middle of the island. It's just, it kind of, it just, it gives the old setting. It just kind of revives it and gives it a new look. And you have, very much this kind the kind of locked room mystery sensibilities because there's very sporadic cell phone coverage there's really no way off the island um except by boat which it'll take you know it'll take a really long time for a boat to get there so they're all trapped on this island with each other and so that brings with all of the suspicion and paranoia about okay which one of the guests is killing people why are they doing it and i just really liked this book when when i read it and again that is they all fall down by Rachel Housel Hall yeah, Rachel Housel Hall, I feel is one of those underrated authors. I am always recommending her. And now she's gone, I think, which is her latest. It's they're always so well done. And like she like she takes her time building a story. So and I and I remember reading that as one as well and thinking it was pretty good. So yeah, like I I hundred percent second that. And then to quickly move on to my third pick, I'll keep it short and sweet. So my third pick is The Perfect Guests by Emma Roos. And this one does not have one dinner party, but multiple dinner parties because it sort of like focuses on guests in general. So just a little bit about the story. The year is 1988 and Beth Soames is 14 years old when her aunt takes her to stay at Ravenhall, a rambling manor in the isolated East Anglian fence. The Everells, the family who lives there, are warm and welcoming, and Beth becomes fast friends with their daughter. 
At times, Vet even feels like she's truly part of the family until they ask her to help them with a harmless game and nothing is ever the same. And then we fast forward to 2019 when we have Sadie Langton, who is an actress who's struggling to make ends meet. And she is sent a suitcase of clothing, a dossier outlining the role she's to play and instructions. And she is told to arrive at Raven Hall and play her part in this party that's going to take place. And once Sadie gets there, it she finds Raven Hall even grander than she had imagined. And as day turns to night, uh, Sadie slowly is introduced to the guests that start arriving and she starts unraveling the sinister, almost the sinister intentions that lurk underneath what she, underneath what was proposed. And then also there's this fantastic like interweaving of the two timelines. So like what really happened in 1988 and how that helped, like how that will help Sadie understand what's about to happen. And it's, it was, it's just like, um, so Emma Roos's work, The Opera is another one that was, that was an intense read and her reads are very, very intense. And she does this, she usually has one character that she makes the focal point of her story. And then it's, I mean, the actor is under, the, the main protagonist is unreliable, but she also like goes into their psyche in a way that you cannot help but sympathize with them. So I think the balance, the way she balances the two is what I think makes her work something really, like something really enjoyable. So this one, it was fantastic. It came out only recently. So it is the perfect guest's, by Emma Rose. All right. And then finally, my last pick, again, I had to go for this one, is Hannibal by Thomas Harris. And it's not the plot of the book that matters. It is the one dinner yep. scene, which if you have read the book or seen the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> if you have not read the book or seen the movie and are not sure what I'm talking about, I will not go into details because it is, it is extremely graphic and really horrifying. How shall I say this? Just if you decide to pick up this book, go into it with an open mind, shall we say. <laughs> But yeah, that, I mean, this is the epitome of dinner parties gone about as badly as you can go, <laughs> and then some. So just, I had I had to put it in here. So that's, that's my spiel. Hannibal by Thomas Harris. I 100% support your decision to do that because uh, my husband and I, we love, like, the, we, I haven't read the books, but we love the movies. Mm-hmm. And I know exactly the dinner scene you're talking about, and it's a scene that, is etched into my brain but but i mean it was terrifying yeah sure but it was just like so well done like uh, yeah you know so it's like like, i never (laughs) forget that scene no it is it is incredibly memorable and well i am i've i have read the books uh well i've read the first three books in the hannibal lecter series i've seen the first three movies i am an enormous fan of the hannibal tv show with mads mickelson and hugh dancy and while they don't recreate that that scene exactly as it is in the movie they do have they they do have their nods to it and mm-hmm. yeah it's it's just really horrifying so voila <laughs> and i feel like in the series in the series they have a lot of like dinner scenes i mean that could qualify as well well yeah i mean it's it's <laughs> hannibal hannibal the cannibal having his fancy dinner parties yeah. where he's yeah where he's serving meat that's not the kind of meat you want to eat So, you know, that is the epitome of, like, dinner's gone wrong. (laughs) (laughs) We'll end on that note. So, yeah, so if any of you have 
any other dinner party stories that you really enjoy, whether they are on the more classic end of the spectrum or if they're on the dark and depraved end of the spectrum, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> and with that, we'll go ahead and jump really quickly into new releases because we've got some really good books coming out the next week or so. Yeah, so the first one is, this is another cozy. I know last week as well, we mentioned a cozy mystery, but this is another one that's fantastic. And it comes out today. It's Arsenic and Adobo by Mia P. Manasala. The starting of the book is so hilarious. It starts off with, I am in a rom-com. And then she starts off like, well, not really. And then she goes off and explains her situation. But just a little bit about the story. Uh, Lila Makapagal moves back home to recover from a horrible breakup. And her life seems to be following all the typical rom-com tropes. She's tasked with saving her tita, Rosie's failing restaurant. She has to deal with a group of matchmaking aunties who shower her with love and judgment. But when a notoriously nasty food critic, who happens to be her ex-boyfriend, drops dead moments after a confrontation with Lila, her life quickly swerves from a Nora Ephron rom to an Agatha Christie case. With the cops treating her like she's the one and only suspect and the shady landlord looking to finally kick the Makapagal family out and resell the storefront, Lila is left with no choice but to conduct her own investigation. Armed with the nosy auntie network, her barista best bud, and her trusted Dashan Longenzia, Lila takes on this tasty twisted case and soon finds her own neck on the chopping block. This is a fantastic cozy mystery. It's a very good balance of family story and mystery and like also like tons and tons of food. So if any of that sounds like your jam, you should immediately pick this up. It's Arsenic and Adobo by Mia P. Manasala, and this is out today on May 4th. And then the second one is also me. Uh, so this one is Dead of Winter by Stephen Mac Jones. This is another one that's out today, and this is part of the series. But from, from my understanding, these series can be uh, read as standalone. And even if they cannot be, this is one you should immediately pick up just because uh, the series has been compared to the works of Walter Mosley and is a fantastic character-developed series. Just a little bit about this title. So Detroit ex-cop and Mexican town native August Snow has been invited for a business meeting at Authentico Foods. Its owner, Ronaldo, is dying and is being blackmailed into selling the company to an anonymous entity. Worried about his employees, um, Ronaldo wants August to buy it. August has no interest in running a tortilla empire, but he does want to know who's threatening his neighborhood. Quickly, his investigation takes a devastating turn, and he and his loved ones find themselves ensnared in a dangerous net of ruthless billionaire developers. August Snow must fight not only for his life, but also for the soul of Mexican town itself. So if just fighting to protect the culture of your town, the culture of your people, sounds like your jam, which it absolutely is for mine, pick up Dead of Winter by Stephen Mac Jones. And this is also out today, May the 4th. All right. And then real quickly, my pick for new releases is While Justice Sleeps by Stacey Abrams. Yes, that's Stacey Abrams. That is out on May 11th. And it, this is a legal thriller following Avery Keene, who is a brilliant young law clerk for Justice Howard Wynn on the Supreme Court. And at the beginning of the book, 
Avery learns that Justice Wynne, who is the cantankerous swing vote on a bunch of high-profile cases that the Supreme Court is going to hear, when she learns that he has slipped into a coma, her life just turns upside down. And she has been notified that he has left instructions for her to serve as his legal guardian and power of attorney. So she is plunged into this huge high-profile role she never anticipated. And she learns that he had actually been secretly researching one of the most controversial cases um, that was before the court, which is was a proposed merger between a an American biotech company and an Indian genetics firm. And she also learns that he suspected a dangerously related conspiracy that was infiltrating the highest power corridors of Washington. So obviously, things are going to happen. Avery is going to find herself in situation way beyond anything that she expected. This book just sounds like such a fast-paced legal thriller with so much insider knowledge. And I don't know where Stacey Abrams found the time to write a legal thriller along with, you know, fighting for democracy (laughs) and equal voting rights in this country, but she did. And let us also not forget that she also has written a series of romance novels under um, a pen name. So she is just killing it on all fronts. So her debut suspense novel comes out next week. And again, that is called Wild Justice Sleeps by Stacey Abrams. I am so excited to read that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that one, as soon as I heard she was coming out with that, I'm like, well, uh, that's on on my reading list now. So, (laughs) Uh, And with that, uh, Katie, on my end, I have not been, it's been a slow reading month on my end. What about you? Have you finished or have you been reading anything fun? Um, no, I haven't finished anything. I've uh, I've been trying to find a good audiobook to listen to. Um, I found one, I picked one that's not mysteries, unfortunately. But I did start reading Girl A by Abigail Dean, which came out earlier this year. This was one of my most highly anticipated books for the year. It's basically a literary psychological suspense novel that has been that has been compared to Room by Emma Donahue and Sharp Objects by Gillian Flynn. Big trigger warning for for domestic abuse, for parental abuse, child abuse. And I will I will say that I'm about halfway through it and it is so well written. The characters are so interesting. This is just such a compelling story of what happens to children who are rescued from traumatic family environments and the different ways that that trauma can present itself. And it's been such a compelling read, and I will hopefully have it finished by next time. But I am really excited I got a chance to start reading this now. So again, that is Girl A by Abigail Dean. And I think with that, we are at the end of our show. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. Thanks so much to our wonderful, wonderful sound editor, Jen Zink, for always making us sound great. For show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. For more book recommendations and bookish goodness, head over to bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. If you want to send an email with feedback or show suggestions, you can reach us at redordebtbookriot.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter at Javed Nasra. That's J-A-V-E-D-N-U-S-R-A-H. And you can find me on Twitter at KT underscore library lady. 
and we will talk to you all next time. Bye-bye.